Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Brooke, Stacy, and Natalia, and we are going to talk tonight about historical fiction um, featuring women. So, you know, some of these feature women in really, like, upfront, in-your-face kind of ways. Some of them are a little bit quieter, and women are in more of a, I don't want to say background role, but not so much, like, just up and in your face. Um, But we did want to pay tribute to some of the things that historical women did um, in a time when maybe they weren't expected to or weren't wanted to. So we're going to do the housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And then Brooke will start us off, followed by Stacy, then me, and then Natalia. So the first book that I'm going to talk about tonight is Girl in Disguise by Greer McAllister. And oh. this book is about a woman named Kate Warren. And Kate Warren was the first Pinkerton detective, or well, the first female Pinkerton detective. And this was back in, as far, uh, if I'm not incorrect, it was back in 1850-something. Um, so um, Kate's the book starts out with Kate having to, like, she's a, she's a new widow, and she has to find a job, and she's really interested in this detective job, and so she has to kind of work her way into the, the business, because the boss, he really doesn't think, like, a woman, yeah, what is a woman going to do? But she really makes great arguments about what she can do that a lot of the men cannot. So he ends up letting her try it out and she does really well because she's able to get into places where men really can't because she can be like a seductor a seductress she could be um a rich woman on the train like she can she can get places that a lot of the men can't and so she does really well in this position so in the book we see her kind of getting really good at her job and also starting to train other women to do the same job as she's doing. And as the Civil War is getting, like, getting a little tense, she she becomes a spy. 
and we get to see what she does as a spy. So as this is happening, she starts kind of thinking about herself and kind of wondering, like, who is she? Like, is, is she... are any of these disguises really her? And it does she really know who she is? So it's kind of a really interesting book to kind of see, like, does she really, like, do we ever see who Kate really is? So this book is Girl in Disguise. This is by Greer McAllister. I read Woman 99 by her last year. That was um, good. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. About the early, like, institutionalization of women um, in the early part, in the late part of the 19th century, the early part of the 20th century. I'm looking forward to seeing, like, what does she write next? Because I, so far, the books that I have read of hers have been really good. There's also The Magician's Lie, um, which is about, like, a female... um, She was, like, the helper, right? Yeah, like, yes, yes. I love historical fiction so much. I love reading about just your average everyday person living their life in a different time. And, you know, I love learning some of the historical details. And my first book is something that um, I've long been fascinated with. It's about a subject that I've long been fascinated with. And the name is kind of silly. And so I kind of blew this book off for a long time. And that was a mistake. So my first book is The Tumbling Turner Sisters by Juliet Fay. And this book takes place in 1919 um, in upstate New York. It's about a family with um, four daughters, ranging in age from the early 20s down to about 13 years old. And um, they are basically, the father is a boot stitcher. um, And they basically struggle from paycheck to paycheck. They're always like one payment away from eviction. And and it's just a kind of a hard scrabble life. And one day um, the father comes home with a completely mangled hand, which means he can no longer be a boot stitcher. And so, yeah, you need both hands. I read all about it in this book too, (laughs) stitch a boot. (laughs) And so the mother decides that um, she's always wanted more out of life than living the you know, hard scrabble life of a bootstitcher's wife with four girls. Um, she has always wanted more. And so she decides that her daughters, um, the three youngest, are going to put together um, a vaudeville act. And then she decides after um, her eldest daughter, Nell, um, her husband makes it through World War I and then is on the train on his way home to her and dies of the flu. So he oh. de- she decides that Nell will join their troop with her newborn baby as well. And so the story is told in alternating points of view between um, Winnie and Gert, who are the two teenage girls. Winnie is 17. Um, she wants to be, um, she wants to go to medical school. She wants to go to college. She wants all the things and does, can't afford it. And Gert is um, very comfortable in her skin um, she just wants big, she has big dreams. She wants big things for herself. And the two middle sisters are like oil and water together. They just don't mix well. Um, Gert is very opinionated and Winnie is very head in the clouds, reading a book all the time. Well, anyway, this, this, um, this family is given a chance to take their vaudeville 
tumbling act on the road. Um, and this book is all about, it's sort of a, a cross between like a coming of age story and um, what it's like to be a vaudeville performer in 1919. It's about building confidence. Um, you know, it's about family and, and family dynamics. And it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. And I liked all of the period detail. Um, and I really liked reading about vaudeville, both um, what it was like, like what acts there were, and also kind of the behind the stage looks. Um, I think the most disturbing part of the book to me was the um, very blatant racism. Um, this is, uh, I did not know about this. Um, men would, white men would uh, paint their faces with coal um, so to darken their faces. And they would sing really, really demeaning songs um, as if they were African-American um, singing Aww. about themselves. And I won't repeat the lyrics of the song, but it was just, you know, it, it was just um, really horrifying to read that that was something that was just seen as completely okay. Um, you know, there's, there's love in this story, there's loss, there's, there's just so many things, but it's, it's about um, these young women who basically learn how to be strong and fearless and independent during some very trying times and, um, you know, finding sort of family and villainy and love and all the things um, backstage uh, at different theaters throughout the U.S. And this book, again, is The Tumbling Turner Sisters by Juliet Fay, and I really encourage everyone to read it because it was just really well done. I love this book. I know. So I also have a sister's book to start us off tonight. This is a book that I read for the first time back in 2001. So this is An Excess of Love by Kathy Cash Spellman. This was originally written in 1985, but was put out again in 2018. And I'm so glad it was because the more people who read this, um, the, the better the world will be. So this is a story of the Irish struggle for independence from England um, in 1916, but it also tells the story of two sisters, Constance and Elizabeth Fitzgibbon, and their sort of journey as Irish women. So Beth is very kind of meek and mild, um, she has no problem meeting the expectations that her family and society can place upon her. Um, she gets married, she has children, and she doesn't really get involved in the Irish fight for independence. Like, she doesn't necessarily think that British rule is a great thing, but she also doesn't see how she herself can affect this. Constance, though, knows that there is a place for her in this particular fight. And when she meets a young poet named Tierney, um, this just sort of strengthens her desire to fight um, in this particular battle. So Constance leaves home and is in a lot of ways kind of cut off from her family as she becomes an integral part of the fight for independence. So this is sometimes like a very action-packed story, sometimes just very quiet and introspective and lovely. Um, the writing is, is remarkable. Spellman is just really gifted in her way of bringing 
this period of history to life. Um, you know, it's like my great grandmother was born in 1916. And so like all the people in my life, you know, we're like, we're not alive during this time now. And so you just, it's a part of history, whether you're talking about American history or Irish history, it's a part of history that we don't know as much about as perhaps we should. And this book is just a masterful look at two very different women who both come to understand what it is to be strong and that there's not a right way or a wrong way to follow your dreams and be the person that you are meant to be, that you, know, you can define that for yourself. It doesn't necessarily matter like, what the world wants you to do or doesn't want you to do as long as you can kind of come to terms with your own choices. So this is An Excess of Love by Kathy Cash Spellman. It's long, um, I think in print, it's about 640 pages, um, but it is just a super engrossing, fast read. Um, and I highly, highly recommend it. I need to read this too. So my first book for today is very special because if you have been a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll know this about me. I am a stickler for series. And Mika Mu and I always get in an argument about this because Mika's like, just read the good book. Forget the order. <laughs> and then I, I say, no, you must read, to read in order. In order. There is no way you can skip anything. You need to start from the beginning. But this is the third book in the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan. And it's called The Countess Conspiracy. Ooh, how cool. One thing I really love about Courtney Milan are her titles. Her titles are wonderful. wonderful. And this book is about Sebastian and Violet. Violet is the Countess of Waterfield. And Sebastian is a rake, of course, because we love our rakes, don't we? But Sebastian is an interesting kind of rake. He's all the things you would expect the rake to be. He's reviled. He's desired. He's marriageable. He's wonderful looking. But he has an extra layer to him. He's brilliant. I mean, when he's not being a societal rake, he's out there romancing the public with his amazing and proven scientific theories. So he's this incredible, incredible guy. I mean, he's invented all these things. He's... uh, He's very well known for his philosophy and he's changing the world as much as you could change the world in the 19th century. And except he's not the one doing it all. Violet is. And he is doing it for her. Taking the credit for it. Right. But it's an agreement that they have. Yes. It's an agreement that they have because Violet loves science and she loves theories. But she knows that as a woman, she'll never, ever be able to get half as done and half published as him. So basically, he's living a farce. He's known for all these things that he actually didn't do. But he likes it, you know, because he likes to meet people. Violet is shy. He's a man. He, he likes all the things that come with it. Violet, as a woman, will never be able to get all the notoriety he can get. But what happens when Violet finally decides that she's done, that she doesn't want to do it anymore, and that she's not going to, that she just quit science, this is not going to be her thing anymore? What can Sebastian possibly do? And this story <laughs> is everything you expect, and 
it, it's everything you expect it to, it to be, and it's also everything you don't expect it to be, if that makes sense. You you don't know where it's going. And, and what I liked about it is that, yes, it's a romance, and yes, it's historical, but I, I don't know if we've seen enough about how women have, I guess, even in fictional accounts. I, I imagine that in real life, there are so many things that women did that are under the name of men. I mean, women had to publish their books under male pending right and even now jk rowling's initials are jk rowling because in 1997 think about this people that's like 22 years ago 1997 people thought that boys wouldn't read harry potter if they knew a woman had written it so if it was huh. like that years ago mm-hmm. think what it must have been like back then and it's just so such an incredible story Courtney Milan writes incredible stories about women making a difference. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, not making a difference by being behind the scenes and using their feminine wiles, which are awesome, you know, feminine wiles are awesome, but actually being strong and bold and blunt and doing all the things in a society where it wasn't necessarily okay to do so. So this is The Countess Conspiracy, Brother Sinister, book three. And, you know, if you're like me, you should probably start with the begin with the first, you know, prequel. But this book is probably my favorite of the whole series. Sorry, I'm not I, starting I, with the prequels. I'm gonna jump right in. I'm like Mika. I can't. Me too. <clears throat> and I'm gonna say that I have read one Courtney Milan, and it was um, one of her contemporaries. Is oh, it- I like them. Trading, trading spaces. Trading. trading. Trade me, yeah, trade me, and I really enjoyed it. And I, um, I really liked her writing. I sometimes don't love the British romances, the historicals, so I haven't. But what I like about everything I read, hers always seems so smart and clever. So yes, I will add her to my TBR along with everything else. <laughs> the Aerith effect is my favorite in this series. Follow no, it's the second one, followed closely by the suffragette scandal, which is the fourth one. So the next book that I'm going to talk about tonight is Burial Burial Rites, and it's by Hannah Kent. So this book was inspired by a true story. So it's the story of Agnes, and she she lives in Iceland, which really, really interested me because I've never read anything about somebody in Iceland. So Agnes has been condemned to death. Um, she was convicted with two other people for killing their master in a brutal manner. So while, like, during the time leading up to her, like, her death, when she's going to be put to death, um, she has sent to live with a family. And this family is very, they're kind of, they have this small house and they live in a farm and they're really not sure that they want to have this like convicted killer in their midst especially Uh, because they have two daughters and they're really not sure about it but the husband is I think he's a kind of a court officer or something like that and so he has to because it's part of his job so he has to have this woman come with his family so the family really kind of avoids her as much as they can. They, but she has 
the only person that really talks to her is her spiritual advisor, and his name is Toddy, T-O-T-I. And we learned that they had actually met back when they were younger, and she was crossing a river, and he helped her over the river. And when she learned that she would be in this area, she asked to have him specific, even though he's only an assistant. He was a, he's an assistant priest, but she wanted him. So they start talking. And as they're talking, the family is kind of listening. And they're starting to learn more about Agnes. And they start developing a bit of a relationship. And they're starting to realize that there's more to the story than they've heard from other people and the story is really like it's a sad story and it's I guess the biggest thing I really liked about this book was you really feel you get the sense of time and setting and place and you really feel for the for the characters and you can kind of really feel like you're there so this is happening in 1829 and so it's not a happy story, but it's a story that's compelling. Like you really, really want to listen. But one thing that Agnes kind of realizes is like, what do you do when your life, it's all like your life is in the hands of others and it's all dependent upon the stories of others. So this book is Bur Burial Rites and it's by Hannah Kent. This has been on my list for a long time. So I promised myself I was going to branch out in my historical fiction reading. I said, okay, I always talk about World War II era novels. I always do. <laughs> and I, I told Shannon, I'm, I'm going to do this challenge. I'm going to read, you know, I had all these books picked out from different eras. But there was a book I saw few weeks ago that has been like digging at my brain and like telling me I have to read it. And so I texted Shannon and I said, Reverend mother, I have sinned. I have caved. <laughs> <laughs> and so I am going to talk to you about, this is a new to me author and full disclosure. Um, I haven't completely finished the book yet um, because I was really, really waffling about even doing a world war II era. Um, but this book is absolutely amazing. Um, the book is called The Beast's Garden, and it's by Kate Forsyth. And I've seen it compared to um, like a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. Um, from what I've also read about it, it's also um, sort of a retelling of a fairy tale that I've never read called The Singing Springing Lark. And that's a... Uh, that sounds really fun. I know. It's a Brothers Grimm fairy tale. Um, it is? Yes. I've um, never heard of it. I haven't either. I haven't either. It's about... Oh, I have to look I it up. I know. I kind of want to just because it's called The Singing Springing Lark. But anyway, so um, in the beginning of this book, it's 19... It's either 1938 or 1939. And um, there's a young woman. Her name is... Um, the audio narrator pronounces it Ava. Um, if I would have just seen it, I would have called her Ava, but I'm going to call her Ava because that's how the narrator pronounces it. Um, and she's 19 and she is um, a, a singer 
And um, she is selling hats and gloves at a department store and doing some modeling there to earn money. Um, she lives with her two much older half sisters and their father. Um, her mother died um, when she was born and um, her older sisters helped raise her um, much to their dismay. And one of the older sisters is a widow and has a very young child um, who has some sort of cognitive impairment. Um, they called it something antiquated that I'm not going to say here, um, but it sounds like she might have like Down syndrome or, or something of that sort. Anyway, um, her father is a university professor and a psychologist and um, their closest friends are a Jewish family. And Ava is best friends with a young man who was born on the same day as her. And they've been like raised as though they were twins ever since they were born. Aww. And yeah. And so he's a musician and, and, and everything. Well, there's a night um, called the night of glass when um, many Jewish homes are broken into and um, the first wave of, uh, you know, people are taken to, to concentration camps and stores are looted and, and very terrible things happen. And on this most horrible night, that's when Ava meets Leo, who is um, a Nazi officer. And they're drawn to each other, but Ava cannot even imagine any circumstance where she would want to be with Leo. And basically, um, many things happen throughout the course of the next several months. Um, and at some point, um, Ava feels as though she has no choice but to marry Leo for things I will let the reader discover on their own. And um, this book is going to follow Ava and Leo through the next seven years, so um, until the end of the war. And it's a story about how this young woman um, just cannot sit idly by while Hitler destroys Germany and, you know, lives of so many Jewish people. And so she joins the German resistance. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And um, does what she can to topple this whole regime, um, anything that she can do. And um, it's about her learning more about her husband and trying to figure out, is he part of the Nazi regime, like in his heart, or is he perhaps working to do the same thing as Ava and the resistance? And Reviews have told me that the ending is a little far-fetched according to some very hardcore historical uh, fiction uh, aficionados. So I don't know how this book ends yet, but what I will tell you is this is one of the most fascinating, interesting stories. Like it is paining me right now to be talking to you about this book and not actually reading <laughs> the ending. <laughs> um, it's just one of those big, thick, unaudible, as an audiobook, it's like 16 and a half hours of just really, really deep, interesting reading. Some of it's very hard to read. Um, we, we experience constant concentration camps along with, um, someone close to Ava and it's just a really beautiful look at how even in the midst of such great tragedy and pain and just corruption, there are people standing up for what's right and standing up for love and hope and a, a different future for Germany. And this, again, is The Beast's Garden by Kate Forsyth. And I beg you all to read it because it's just a really beautifully told story. 
it I wonder how it's so related good. to Beauty and the Beast. Well, I think because, you know, in order to, um, in order to save someone, she agrees to a marriage with someone oh. that could be considered sort of beastly. Um, and through <laughs> their love and connection, she kind of gets to peel back the, the ugly layers to, to see the, the man inside. And like oh. the father's, like the father, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the and older like the sisters. sisters yep. Yeah. But I guess, um, you know, I guess one of the, one of the versions of Beauty and the Beast, if you will, is the singing springing lark. Um, so I need to read it. Yeah. Oh. So my next pick um, takes place after World War II. And this is Windy City Blues by Renee Rosen. And I have been a big Renee Rosen fan since I read What the Lady Wants back in 2014. And I just really, really like everything she does. Um, I was so excited to be able to sit down and chat with her last summer about her 2019 release, Park Avenue Summer. But this one, Windy City Blues, um, is told in a few different perspectives. So this is the story of Liba, who is um, a Jewish woman of Polish descent living on the south side of Chicago. She and her parents are not super well off. Um, she has an older sister who has been married and has left home now. And so Liba is a piano player. She doesn't really know like what she's going to do. She hopes to one day be a songwriter, but she's not sure that that's really possible. So she works um, in a record store and she dreams of saving up enough money to one day buy a piano of her own. Then we meet Leonard and Leonard is also um, Jewish and his family came from Poland uh, several years before. And he and his brother are longtime friends of Liba's and they end up buying a record company. They know nothing about producing records, but Leonard <laughs> decides that he's going to buy this company and he's going to become, as he puts it, a record man. He wants to produce blues music. He thinks that's kind of where the industry is headed. He convinces Liba to come and work for him. And she decides like that might not be so bad because it also gives her a little bit of extra time to kind of explore her own musical influences. The third narrator is Red Dupree, and he is a black man who has come to Chicago from Mississippi. And he is a blues musician. He and Liba end up falling in love, and this does not go well for them, unfortunately. Um, it costs Liba her relationship with her family, and they are both exposed to all sorts of really, really terrible um, discrimination because they're a mixed couple. Um, so this kind of explores the, the way blues music kind of came to Chicago and how it exploded and took over the music industry for a number of years. But we also see the civil rights movement and we learn, you know, how it began to move from like something that mainly black people were involved in to something that actually made sense to a lot of white people, a lot of Jewish people. So it talks a lot about discrimination, racism, sexism, 
but it also talks about unity and the ways in which people are all kind of more similar than we are different if we're able to look past kind of the surface things that separate us. Um, as I said before, I love Renee Rosen. She is just so good at creating multi-layered characters who, whose struggles feel like very real, but who also don't lose sight of kind of the things that matter most to them. So this is a fantastic read. If you read it in audio, Robin Miles is the narrator and she does a great job. So this again is Windy City Blues and it is by Renee Rosen and I love it. I have Park Avenue Summer on my list of books to read, but I haven't gotten around to it. But this Ooh. one sounds really good as well. So the next, <laughs> the next book I'm going to talk about is one of my favorites. I actually read it in high school. It was assigned to me by my English teacher. Isn't that nuts? How many people can say that, that they really enjoyed a book assigned to them by their English teacher? <laughs> so this book is called In the Time of the Butterflies by Julia Julia Alvarez. And this book is kind of near and dear to my heart because I am from Dominican descent. And this book is about the Mirabal sisters. It's a fictional account about the Mirabal sisters in the time of Trujillo. And for those who don't know, Trujillo was a very, very, very big dictator. I guess he, would, he was what you could call the Fidel Castro of Dominican Republic. And I think he ruled from, for how many years? Maybe 30 years? He was around and for quite a while. For quite a while. And what happened to Trujillo? Trujillo ended up being assassinated by one of his guards in Good Riddance. So this is about the, this is their account. So the fiction of it is that there was a fourth Mirabal sister and she's telling the story of her other three sisters. The three sisters were Minerva, Patria, and Teresa. And it's kind of, it's a cool book. Um, it's not very, it is action. There, a lot of action happens, but it's not one of those action packed thrillers. Um, I wouldn't say it's no. more like a, coming of it i would say it's kind of a coming of age story but it's also a story of what happens to families what, what dictatorship does to to families and how it can affect everybody in so many little ways and what happens when the dictator it's not a spoiler this is well-known history what happens when the dictator falls for one of the sisters and the sister says no i'm not going to be one of your women so this is In the Time of the Butterflies by Julia Alvarez. And it is oh, just such an amazing book. I think she's coming out with a new book finally. Yes, in the spring. It's been like 15 years. 15 years, so. I think. Oh my gosh, I know. I can't wait. I can't wait. So the last book that I'm going to talk about is Venom. Mm. Secrets of the Eternal Rose, number one, by... Fiona Paul. And this is a new to me author, but the whole title Venom, that really, really caught me. So this book is about a 15 or 16 year old girl. And her name is Cassandra. And Cassandra is part of the elite. And she's feeling really trapped. Like, ever since her parents died and she went to live with her aunt, she's felt kind of 
um, I don't know, suffocated. She really feels like there's more out there for her to do. And she really wants to branch out in her life. Well, one day she comes across a dead body of a woman. Um, and she, this woman, she finds out was a, I don't know, it's a fancy name for prostitute, but I can't remember what it is. So, so she comes across the body of a prostitute and she decides that she wants to find out what happened to this woman. And she wants to try and catch the killer in the act. While she's doing this, she meets a boy named, uh, like a young artist uh, named Falco. And Falco and Cassandra, they kind of develop a bit of a relationship. The problem is Cassandra has a fiance. And her fiance is away, I think he's away at school. And so she's kind of by herself and she's doing some investigating with Falco and getting a little bit, getting a little closer than she should. So this book is about the investigation with a Falco, but also it's about like, will Cassandra stay true to her fiance or will she follow her heart and go to uh, go and kind of investigate what kind of relationship her and Falco can have while they're investigating, they, she's learning. So this, um, I forgot to mention, this book is how it takes place in Venice. And that's another reason why I kind of really want to read this book. Cause I, for some reason, I really like books that happen in Venice. Yeah. I like um, Venice too. I, just, I think it just sounds romantic or something. I don't know, something exciting about it. So she's, while she's investigating with Falco, she's learning the more seedy parts of the city. And while this is all happening, of course, as all books like this happen, um, the killer is also after her. So will they discover the killer before the, the killer gets them? Well, you'll have to see. So this is called Venom, Secrets of the Eternal Rose, number one, by Fiona Paul. And there's actually two other books with this. There might be also a prequel, I can't really remember, but... Um, I couldn't get a hold of the prequel, so that's why I don't actually totally remember. But I know there's I don't two think books there, after this one. I haven't seen the prequel. I do know that there's Belladonna and then one after that. Yeah. So I think I'm weak-willed because I just really like reading about certain eras in history. And, and not about poison? And I don't really enjoy reading about poison unless it's too... I love too, poison. Unless I it's to poison. maim those who deserve <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> so my, my final book, my final book this evening um, is called A Kiss from Mr. Fitzgerald by Natasha Lester. And oh. this book begins in 1922. We meet a young woman named Evelyn Lockhart. And Evelyn Lockhart really wants to break out of the mold that her, her position uh, in the kind of social archy of society um, and her family has kind of boxed her into. She loves jazz and fun, but most of all, she loves um, going to school and learning. And at the very beginning of the book, um, her older sister and her mother are talking to her about Evelyn's imminent engagement to her childhood best friend. 
and all Evelyn feels about this is just, just ambiguity and just, she's very, she doesn't really want to do this thing. She doesn't want to start a life of like sewing and, you know, looking after a husband and going to society functions. That's not what she wants. And she is walking down by the river with her childhood best friend and she's worried he's going to pop the question. Um, And he falls behind with her older sister, Viola. And all of a sudden, Evelyn hears some sounds down like in the reeds by the river and she goes down there and discovers a woman like down by the river in labor and as this woman is giving birth the only person around is Evelyn and so she's able to help this woman give birth and then she is shooed away by her um, her childhood best friend Charlie and by her father who was a doctor before he turned into a gentleman And what distresses Evelyn so is how little regard is paid to this young woman who is in labor alone, in pain, in agony, and ultimately dying on the banks of the river. Because she is dirty, she is trash. And and Evelyn should not think of her again. From this point on, Evelyn deviates from what society has dictated for her. And she decides that she is going to go to medical school because... Just within the last year or so, women have been um, invited to go to medical school very selectively and at very few medical schools, but one is in New York. So basically, Evelyn becomes Evie. She forsakes her family who will not support her. She says no to the proposal of her um, childhood best friend, Charlie, and she begins to study to become a doctor. And this book is all about the obstacles that are thrown in her way because she's a woman and the things that are done to her to try to get her to leave medical school because women should not be here. And um, just the really misogynistic way that um, men talk to her, Um, other medical students, doctors, interns, everyone, because she's a woman and how she learns how to stand on her own and how to be counted in a time when women were thought of as, you know, charming arm candy, basically. And, um, I loved this book so much. I loved it. I love her strength. I love her tenacity. Um, And I love how she is able to overcome the odds. And in order to earn enough money to be in medical school, she um, auditions for and um, begins performing in the late night Ziegfeld Follies on Broadway. And that's how she pays her way through medical school. And It's really interesting. I know. And I wish there would have been more about that, but it was sort of a backdrop to the rest of the story. Um, But she is beginning to also fall in love with a very um, sort of conservative banker who supports her in her dreams of medical school, but knows nothing about her her late night, um, very scantily clad dancing and singing on Broadway. And so basically in this book, um, Evie has to figure out how to follow her dreams, follow her heart, and stay true to herself. And um, I love this book so much. It made me so happy. And it made me like, I'm not a sappy person, but like the end of this book had me like in happy tears. Like I loved it so incredibly much. And it was interesting. There was a lot of historical period detail about the 1920s and just about like uh, different medical procedures that were routinely carried out during that time. Um, And it was just a really fascinating, beautiful book. There were some sort of annoying um, 
misunderstandings that could have been cleared up with communication, but I do feel as though based on the time period and Evie's very strong desire to be counted for who she is and her skill, um, maybe that's why some of the communication was lacking. Um, so I was able to overlook that um, because the rest of the story was so amazing. So this again is a kiss from Mr. Fitzgerald by Natasha Lester. And you should all rush out and read this because it's just absolutely amazing. Yes. It actually really does sound like a book that I would enjoy because I like, I like the whole going to medical school and stuff. Oh, it was so good. And they, she does describe, so she's um, the, um, Evie wants to be a um, obstetrician because of that experience down by the river. Ah, yes. And so, you know, there are some pretty um, graphic uh, birthing descriptions in this book. I can continue this trend of oh, breaking yay. free oh, of your familial expe- expectations. So this is The Girl in White Gloves, Ooh. a novel of Grace Kelly by Carrie Mayer. And this came out the last week of February, and I have been so excited for it for a really, really long time. Um, Carrie Mayer also wrote a book called The Kennedy Debutante, which I haven't read yet, but really want to. Um, but this one kind of piqued my, my interest because I love early Hollywood. So this is, of course, the story of actress Grace Kelly, who eventually marries the Prince of Monaco and becomes a princess. So Grace grew up in Pennsylvania, and her family is kind of, I don't know, practical. You know, um, her brother is an athlete. Her mother is a homemaker. Um, her sisters have gotten married, and she just she doesn't quite fit in. She has always dreamed of a life on the stage. Now, she wants to be a Broadway actress, and she tries, and she tries, and she tries. And it, it doesn't work out the way she hoped it would. But there is a place for Grace in Hollywood. And so slowly, she sort of shifts her allegiance away from Broadway and to the movie making industry. And her family is kind of proud of her, but also a little mystified. Like, why, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to always be like, in the news? You know, people follow you around and they're always like taking your picture. And why do you want this? But this is the thing that Grace loves most. And so she makes several movies and she becomes involved in some pretty risque for the time period um, flirtations with some of her co-stars. And then she happens to meet the Prince of Monaco and the two of them begin a courtship and Grace is then kind of forced to choose, like, is she going to continue to be an actress or is she going to marry and become a royal princess? But she doesn't really understand what it will mean to be a princess. And it causes her to sort of have to reevaluate all of her, her dreams and her hopes and her desires. Um, and it's a, it's a big change for her, but I loved the, the sort of way that we're able to see like Grace Kelly as a person. Um, you know, when I, I was born just before she died, um, apparently she died in a tragic car accident in 1982. 
And so I remember being, you know, pretty young and my grandma talking about Princess Grace of Monaco and, you know, how she had this like really kind of sad life. But you never really knew much about her as a person. She was just kind of like someone that I, I heard about like on the news. And then she kind of just, you didn't hear much about her anymore. So I was just really excited to read this. I was first kind of interested in her story when I read the um, Hazel Gaynor and Heather Webb book, Meet Me in Monaco, which is a historical oh, yeah. romance that sort of has um, Grace Kelly's wedding as like the, the backdrop of, of another story. And so I was really excited when this one came out. So this, again, is The Girl in White Gloves, a novel of Grace Kelly, and it's by Carrie Mayer. So my last book of the night is a book that our Shannon loves. Yes, so I yes, am I surprised to let me talk about it. Woo-hoo. You know, I love this book, and I have never talked about it. Amber talked about it once. Uh, now you're talking about it, and I think and I, I actually it. Yes, and Stacy, I did it for it like uh, was it was it May picks last year? Yes, it was a springtime, and I'm the last person I feel like in this whole podcast who hasn't read it yet. So this is the Book Woman of Troublesome Creek Yay. by Kim Michelle Richardson, and just the title makes you want to read it. Books right? trouble. Yes. You know I don't like trouble or books. I like a quiet life. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure you do. Being truthful. <laughs> And it's about a 19-year-old girl. Her name is Cussie. And she has blue skin. She is blue skin. Now, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should say why she's known as a blue-skinned person. But she's apparently lost all her prospects, even though she's only 19. And she kind of doesn't doesn't she's living deep in the woods of eastern kentucky and she kind of is at a loss i guess as to what to where her life is going get this guys she's only 19 but apparently this is 1936 so by 19 you were supposed to as a girl have some kind of i guess direction and (sighs) what what i like about this book is that it's not about war um it's not really mentioning war anything like that and it's uh, historical in the 30s which i haven't read many that were in the 30s that weren't you know late 30s world war ii so this was cool and what happens is that she eventually becomes a librarian but not just any ordinary librarian but a portable librarian and like she a has pack horse like librarian. pack horse librarian yes. exactly and she has a mule and she gets on this mule and she delivers books and materials for people to read all over eastern kentucky um you know, it's in the most rural areas and she discovers herself and discovers so many things that, Oh gosh, I don't want to spoil, but this book is amazing. I loved it so much. I can't wait to read it. I, yes. I, I loved it so much. And I hope that my description is doing it justice, but just the idea of a librarian with books, you know, in, yes. in a mule, and I just, I wish we could still do this. Can I can I please have my own portable librarian? I think I would never have a life. <laughs> why would you why, why would you need one though? You would just right? strap your you'd strap your child to your bosom and you would get up on your mule and right. you would just ride about with your with your <laughs> with saddlebags full of books and right, exactly. all would be well. Like what else do you need? Right. Exactly. What else? You wouldn't do even I need? need daycare. 
No. No. Like nothing. Just like books and the mule and you're good. Child. I just I just and I just really love reading books about women doing really interesting things in history because I think that women have been overlooked a lot. And even though this is a fictional story, this this happened in real life. A lot of there were a lot of pack horse librarians. It did become yeah. necessary at some yeah, point. Yeah, this was an initiative actually of Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt, mm-hmm. yes, um, during the Great Depression. Exactly. I was actually going to say that during the Great Depression, yeah. especially. So, I I really I really love the way Kim Rochelle Richardson told this story. I feel that even though it was a fictional account, it did it did everybody justice. And I actually, when I was going to talk about it for the PIX episode last year, I, I don't remember if it was, I feel like it was like April or May, but um, I actually did some research because I was like, what is this blue skinned people? Like, I didn't realize it was right. a, like a legit, like a real historical thing. And so I, it's interesting that there was like some stigma associated with, with having this bluish cast to your skin. Right. Um, the book explains it. I just did. Yeah. It, it was yeah. something new for me. So I feel like if somebody had explained it to me before I read it, it would have spoiled it for me. Yeah. I just, that's I think another, it's interesting. one of my quirks. I do want to say that if you're troubled by the idea of medical experimentation, um, yeah. you, you might, you be, might not, you might want to skip this. Yes. Or there just is be aware of that in there. Don't skip anything. We, no, we have just to know. know that it, it happens in this book. Right. And it, and it happened. Probably. I'm not, I don't doubt oh, it. Oh, I'm sure it did. Okay. So that does it for us this evening. Thank you to Brooke, to Stacy, and to, to Natalia for talking with me about women-centric historical fiction. As always, thanks go out to Christine for her fantastic editing. And of course, we want to thank all of you who join us each week for our discussions of fantastic books. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness and some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.